Well, hello there. It's Chris Evans here, off the radio. Welcome to another tip-top edition of the Best of the Breakfast Show podcast with Sky from Virgin Radio. Coming up, the ridiculously ravishing and fantastically funny Rafe Spall talks season two of Trying on Apple TV+. Plus. Outlander star Laura Donnelly charms us with news of the sensational new sci-fi Sky Atlantic series, The Nevers. The always brilliant Bryony Gordon is back, back, back to discuss her incredible memoir, My Glorious Rock Bottom, The Paper. Back and the main madman from Madness Suggs looks ahead to the band's awesome 14 date The Lady Killers tour. All of that and so much more to come now. Dapper Dave, tell us who is our first guest. He's Sean of the Deaded, Life of Pied, Jurassic Worlded, and quite frankly, nailed them all. Series two of the brilliant Apple TV Plus series trying premieres today, and here to tell us what to expect from a show about what to expect when you're adopting <laughs> is the always wonderful Rafe Spall. All right, Rafe. Hello, 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 hello. hello. How are you? Excellent. So so happy to be out of the house. <laughs> you are excellent, in fact, at your job. Uh, you're a decent, very decent human being. You're a funny guy. You're great to have around. And you wear yellow socks all the time. Yeah. And Charlene and yourself have just talked about that. We had to drag you away from each other so we could get on with our show. Mm. You were having a big yellow sock chat. Tell us about that. Well, actually, our class is as a mustard sock. Okay. I, 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 don't, I don't want mean to uh, split hairs. But yes, I solely wear mustard socks. Oh, right. Just mustard. Yes. Okay. I've got a whole drawer full of them. And, and me and uh, Charlene did have a chat about it because she's wearing them also. Um, but it, it's a conversation starter. Right, trying Series 2. Yeah. Um, for people who aren't aware of Series 1, how did we leave you to your... First of all, who are you in the show? Who mm-hmm. are you married to? Who are your friends? What's going on? So, yeah, the, the Season 1 is about a couple who uh, are trying to um, have a child and they're not able to do that um, uh, naturally, so they go down the path of trying to adopt, which is just quite a long, laborious process. And the end of the first season has them being approved by a panel um, uh, and then the second season is about them getting matched which is just an arduous if not more laborious process than the first because there's not that many kids in the system and a lot of parents competing for them and so much hilarity and heartbreak ensues no and it really does and it's very hard for you to say that about your own show and I know you feel a bit awkward about it but it is hilarious this show it's properly properly funny and it's hard to be funny nowadays because so many people have been funny for so many years before so how yeah, do you do it true. differently yeah yeah uh, trying series two, episode one and two, out today on Apple TV Plus. If you have access to Apple TV Plus, get this show in your life. They're half hour episodes. They will make you smile, they will make you cry, and they will make you think. And what more do you want from a TV show in half an hour than that? I love the characters, I love the cast. The juxtaposition, of course, of you, uh, your character, and, and his wife, uh, de- or his partner, desperate for a baby, is the fact that you have best friends who have a baby but couldn't be, you know, on the surface, less grateful. They are, of course, really. So the juxtaposition yeah. of the other couple is what? Yeah, indeed. Yeah, absolutely. But you know what? It's 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 obviously a, a show about wanting to have children, um, and only. A- not, not everyone watching will identify with that, but I think what's identifiable is getting to a stage in your life and, reali- and, and feeling like something's missing, yeah. feeling like there's a hole that needs filling, whether it's children in their case or career or job or geography or a relationship or whatever. I think that that's a sort of identifiable theme running through it, that okay. something might be missing from your life. Do we talk about the other couple and what they're up to, or is that a bit of a spoiler? Um, uh, Ophelia, Ophelia Lovey Bond, and um, uh, and uh, that's her name. Don't laugh. And um, and uh, Oliver Chris, yeah, they they play a, um, a couple who have have two kids that they've been blessed with having um, naturally. But he's um, he's had an affair. He's had an affair. It's the line when he's his new girlfriend, who's much younger than everybody else, 
drops him off at the church. Um, yeah, yeah. And uh, all her mates say, because it's for the baptism, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he's late to his to his daughter's new daughter's no new son's baptism. Yeah. Um, because he's having it away with this um young much younger lady. He's going through a sort of pre midlife crisis. Yeah. And of course, this this woman turns up, drops him off, and and his wife says, "Oh my gosh, she's so beautiful." And all the other girls say, "Yeah, but she's 27. Everybody's beautiful when they're 27." <laughs> Yeah, it's good. It's, it's, a, it's a good line. And, you know, he's he's the sort of character, his friend, that I think we've all got, those mates that you're sort of stuck with. You know, those people that you became friends with at university yeah. or when you were a young person. Uh-huh. And if you met them now, you wouldn't be friends. Yeah. And I've got people like that, and you know who you are. Yeah. It's called the endowment theory. We talked about this before. Is that right? Yeah, it's in the endowment. It's a psychological um, uh, state of mind. And it's it's you can have it with things, uh, but especially with people. And it's about the fact, well, you once you're in, you're in. And it's very hard to get out yeah right um but the conversation your character has with um with him uh, by the side of the canal in yeah. regions but hey he wanted me to move straight back to primrose hill like immediately i know uh but then um then you have the, the go the whole thing about uh, the narrative it goes into men and women different psyches um uh women women are from venus men are from mars yeah um and uh what's really interesting as part of when you give them a, a, a ticking off is um, your partner can't believe that she, in her eyes, in a woman's eyes, you've just had a row. Yeah. Okay. And you're going to give each other silent treatment for at least three days. And about a minute later, he's showing you sports clips on on Spotify. Or yeah, 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 yeah. That's that's sort of representative of my life as well. Because boys can do that. They can. It's different, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it it does seem to be. I mean, that's that's the good thing about the show is is it obviously it's um it's got a light and funny tone, and I and I'm pleased to hear that you think it is funny. But the writer Andy does a really good job of sort of dealing with um uh, issues. So in the first series, it's sort of about class. Um, because they're they're competing for these children and for approval with people that um, on the surface have got bigger houses, better jobs, blah blah blah. But we, as the audience, can see that they're just as, as deserving to be as parents as um, someone with a bigger house. And in the second season, yeah, he sort of um, deals with things uh, about gender, and um, they they is coming to the point where they have to decide what what gender of child they have. They're not really discussed it. And um, he played by Esther Smith, who plays my partner, wants a girl, and I discovered that well, I want a boy. Know, didn't I know. didn't know. It was just I just sort of presumed that 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 would be the case. And she's got a great line she where she says i don't know why you wouldn't just pick the better gender <laughs> and is, then off you go is, yeah exactly which is which is women uh and then uh, and, I, and, and i've got this line where i say something like um you, you know boy, boys are, are simple it's just a, they're like it's like um uh, maintaining heavy machinery it's just to wipe down with a damp cloth now and then and they're good to go which is basically true <laughs> I, I mean there's a lot going on under the surface not that but if we don't want to know about it nobody yeah. else is ever going to find out about it yeah and that's exactly. sort of where we are yeah and a couple of glasses of wine in and a takeaway yeah, um, yeah. and um yeah but that's it i mean i've had i've had arguments with friends and then having a laugh a minute later like you you just forget it whereas um my experience of the female of the species is a bit more complicated yeah or sophisticated or sophisticated or, yes, or yes. can we can we conflate the word sophisticated and complicated i think you just go back to better the best of the chris evans breakfast show with sky on virgin radio she's a star of stage screen and now a supernatural victorian london with a twist the brilliant new sky atlantic series the nevers is available on demand now so ladies and gentlemen you would nevers believe us if we told you how good it is so we'll hand over to the lovely laura donnelly all right laura thank
thank you for being here. Thank you for making your way here. Thank you thank for vanquishing you. the rush hour traffic Yay! back in London. <laughs> traffic jams are back. Traffic jams are back. We've never been more happy for traffic jams to be back. Laura, congratulations on this show. Thank you it very much. It is awesome. It's got it all going on. Uh, the Nevers All Six episodes available now via Sky On Demand, or you can watch them week on week, 10.45pm Sky Atlantic on Mondays. Um, you sell it to the great British public because you've been doing it for a long time. I feel like I have to talk as fast as you now. <laughs> you don't have to. I know we've got a lot to get in, and I want to give you as much juice as possible because it's such a good show. Oh, well, thank you. I, I love it. It's, um, it's a bunch of Victorian, mostly women, who suddenly, through an unexplained event, find themselves with these unusual abilities. But it's not, uh, I wouldn't say superpowers. They're, you know, a lot of the what they're what they've got is totally useless and um, they, they, what you mean like the giant girl well exactly the giant 16 year old and the blue girl you know there's no use there whatsoever but that's why it's funny because it sort of doesn't make sense but then it rattles along with its own momentum Um, first of all who doesn't want to go in the car (laughs) <laughs> we won't spoil things, but there's a car. A car appears literally from nowhere, or the last thing, the last place you'd expect a a modern day futuristic car to appear from. Did it really work? Did you really have a go? Did oh yeah, I've driven it, and Anne, who plays Penance, has driven it. It's brilliant fun. Oh my goodness me! But it's got it all. This it's got it's got a bit of sci-fi in. Um, it's got high drama in. You know when what's supposed to be playing on theatrically or to be playing theatrically in a Victorian theatre turns out to be not a performance but um, reality within uh, within um, fantasy that really messes with that that's a great scene Oh, yeah, and Amy Manson, who plays Malady, is just Yeah, and fantastic. fight scenes. But uh, tell us more about your character. Tell us how much fun you had. Tell us about the fight scenes. Tell us about injuries. Just get people fired up <laughs> so they tune into the show, because it's really good. It's by far the most fun character that I've ever played. I do get to do absolutely everything. It's, you know, I, I spent six weeks training, stunt training before we started. And then, you know, by episode three, I was doing a week in Pinewood Studios in the water tank, and I'd never done anything like that before. And so I get all of this stuff but at the same time I get to play this really really layered complex woman who you know it stretches my acting skills and it's just you know there's so much drama there's so much emotion to it and at the core of it it's just a really really human story and it has stuff to say about the society we're in now it does and it's but it says it you know um with a a skip in its step and also again another lightness of touch uh it's funny Mm-hmm. It's scary. It's right. It's wrong. It has Olivia Williams as well as your good self in it. James Norton takes his clothes off after <laughs> yes, about five seconds. <laughs> By the way, again, if that isn't the best first five second on screen audition for, do you want a bit of this Bond? Then I don't know what is. <laughs> Surely he's got to he's got to bag that gig. Oh yeah. Uh, Tom Riley, Eleanor Tomlinson, Amy Manson, Pip Torrance, Nick Frost, and Ben Chapman to name but a few. Mm-hmm. What a love. It's the most incredible cast and we have such a good time. I mean, it's no exaggeration to say that, you know, 5am calls for me every single morning were just no problem. I just leapt out of bed. There's only one bump in the road. What's that? Okay, so me and my wife watching last night thinking, this is good, this is good, this is good. No, this is really good. No, this is really good. Wow. No, this is this is off the charts. So I said, the kids watching the first 15 minutes. I said, the kids are going to love this. <laughs> she says, well, let's just, just hold that thought for a second, you know. I said, Why? And then about a minute later, she was. I thought, no, well, the kids might love it, but they can't watch it. Yeah, it's made by HBO, so that's yeah. just that gives you but everything first, you need to know. Do you know what? They could watch the first 15 minutes, because yeah. I went back and checked. And I want them to watch the first 15 minutes, but they can't watch anything after that. Now, well, yeah, I think you can just... 
fast forward certain bits. You know, that's what yeah. my dad used to always do when I was a kid if I wanted to watch things. Just All right, where, where did you make it? How long did it take? Um, how much, you know, how, 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 how much fun did you have? It took forever because we had several forever? hiatus. Forever? Yes, took forever. forever. Yes. Still taking? <laughs> still going. And it's still going. We're still shooting the first season. We have another six episodes of the first season to do because COVID and lots of other different dramas and hiatus and all the rest, we yeah. shot these first six episodes in two years and it's finally out. We have another six episodes But it's very filmic, do. isn't it? It could be a movie. Yeah, absolutely. And the first two episodes are shot by Seamus McGarvey who is just, you know, the most wonderful cinematographer and he has done so many different really incredible massive, massive films yeah. and um, what he does with that visually is just stunning. Visually, it has a touch of um, Guy Ritchie Sherlock Holmes about it, yeah, if you don't yeah. mind me saying. Not at all. Is that all, is that yeah. all okay? Compar- you never know whether to compare and contrast. No, that's what I love about it. There are a lot of different comparisons and people think they have a bit of a handle on what it is and say, you know, it's Victorian X-Men or whatever and, you know... Victorian just... X-Men? <laughs> yes, please. Well, Victorian X-Women, actually. But if you make it to the end of episode six, I think you quickly realise that it's doing entirely its own thing. It flips whatever you think it is on its head pretty quickly. And also what's interesting about it is it's one of those shows where the characters could be so sort of... Um, uh, what is it? So, so extreme and grotesque in their in their 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 their, their size, if you like, mm-hmm. um, that their cartoonishness. That it could be unbelievable, but it's not unbelievable, mm-hmm. even though it's complete fantasy. We think, but then what's life anyway? You know, <laughs> whose dream am I am I in? Are you, am I in yours or are you in mine? Or what the heck's going on? <laughs> but also, every everybody, you know, it's one of those gang shows, isn't it? Where the ensemble cast, because you're all, you're all on fire. And everybody with playing every single character absolutely nails it. Yeah, I mean, it is the it, like I say, you've got all these you know very very well known British actors who have been on your screens you for known. years. Like the, and people you have the mum and exactly. dad of the, the little girl yeah, in the they're first wonderful. They're so funny. <laughs> yeah, you go. I'm not sure I like you. I don't like you. I think like oh, I don't care. I'm just happy that you're on my telly. <laughs> yeah, totally. that kind of thing. Yes, right. absolutely. Thank you. Oh, you are more than welcome. You are awesome, <laughs> Laura Donnelly, the Nevers. Uh, all six episodes available now via Sky on demand. Episode two, uh, Monday, twenty fourth of May. All Mondays, every Monday, ten forty five Sky Atlantic. If you prefer watching telly that way. The best of the Chris Evans Breakfast Show with Sky on Virgin Radio. We love our next guest and we suspect she might even love us a little bit. Dapper Dave, who am I talking to and about? Put simply, she's the first person you call for a sideways look at the world. Her open and honest memoir, Glorious Rock Bottom, is out now in paperback. So please welcome a lady that knows the pen is mightier than the sword, but that both can be dangerous to hold when you've had a drink. It's the brilliant Bryony Gordon! Very nice intro. Hello, Bryony. Hello, Chris. Welcome back. Amazing. You look raging. You look rainbow-esque. I've I've got dressed up for you. I know. Well, thanks so much. Um, You are here. You're live in the studio. You said you might be a bit too excited for the interview. I have a literally... This is the most. I, I was. I'm like. I'm in central London in a studio with Chris Evans. How does it feel to be back in a building like this after zooming for the last twelve months here, there, and everywhere? It feels so nice. I realise. I don't know about all of you guys, but I certainly get someone with a history of sort of mental health issues, and I always say that mental health issues work by isolating you. And I, when this all happened, I thought, oh great, my diary's empty. I can be alone. But I realised the bit of my brain that sort of said, oh, great, was all my sort of alcoholism and depression. And I've gone into myself. So it's really nice. It's funny because a lot of people have said the same, haven't they? Mm. Similarly, it's it's had the opposite effect to what they thought it might have done from both poles. Yeah. There's people, I think there are people that have, I think there are people that have got, who have experienced depression and anxiety. I personally felt quite well prepared for it. I've been preparing for the end of the world since I was about nine. (laughs) 
So I was like, oh, this is okay. I've been having lockdowns in my own head since I was a child. Yeah. This is, you know, doing one together. But I do think as things have gone on, it's, it's, yeah, it's, I can't swear because it's, 9.29 in the morning yeah. but and it's not a podcast it's not a podcast <laughs> I'm, I'm like so excited. right now we've done this interview a couple of times before Brandy Gordon's Glorious Rock Bottom is out in paperback now the Sunday Times bestseller um, what have you learned from talking about the book that you've written that uh, can tell us more about um, the subject matter uh, well alcoholism I mean it's it every time I the the messages I get about like I write books like this so I can be other people like me um, because I thought I was the worst human in the world a mum who was an alcoholic and an addict and writing it was part of getting rid of the shame and the messages I get. I, the, the, the more I talk about my alcoholism and my all the things that I thought made me really weird the more I realize how normal I am and how normal this stuff is. Um, so it, it's been so... It, I don't know, having a book out like that during a pandemic when I haven't been able to meet anyone, but the messages have been incredible, especially from women who've yeah. been through it too. And so so when you talk to people in recovery in one of one type or another, you know, or sometimes several types at the same time, one person, you do, you can palpably sense that their, their liberation, they feel freer than who they're talking to. Because you've had to face yourself, you see yourself coming back, haven't you, in the mirror? I was on the way here this morning. I was thinking, I was driving through, in a car going through central London and going past all these places where I'd been sort of, I'd been, I'd, I'd done appalling things and gone on benders that 37-year-old mums shouldn't have gone on. And I had this sort of visceral feeling in my stomach of shame. And then I thought, you don't do that anymore, Bryony. And it's remarkable Four years ago, if you told me that I would not, you know, that I could live life without a drink, I wouldn't have believed you. Like, I couldn't imagine getting debt through the day without a drink. And the fact that I haven't had a drink for coming up for four years now, and I do feel liberated. I do feel free. But you still get that trigger panic when you pass those places. Yeah, and I think it's important that I do because I I can get I can romanticize, you know, May when the sun eventually comes out. I'm like, "Oh, maybe a glass of rosé in the garden." And my husband's like, "Absolutely not." Never. You've never had a glass of rosé in the garden. You end up having three bottles and then you call up a dealer and then um sorry, that's probably a bit too frank for the morning. But so I I need to remember how dark it got for me, you know, and how it and it still would and if I picked up a drink today, it wouldn't be one or two, it would be let's go oblivion. Yeah, but you pick it up, you know, Brownie Gordon picks up the drink and then Brownie Gordon leaves. She she exits stage left because it's not you that caused the dealer. It's the alcohol that caused the dealer, isn't yeah. it? Funnily enough, I've had no like uh, desire to do. And the things I used to do when I was in active alcoholism was so out of kilter with, I think, who I was as a person and the places I'd find myself, like yeah. the seediest things. And I, you know, it's like like I said, it's a disease of shame, like most mental illnesses are. And I absolutely think addiction is a mental illness. And it works by isolating you, by telling you you're a freak and that you're alone and no one's going to understand what you're going through. And not only does someone understand what you're going through, there's someone out there who's going through what you're going through. There will be someone listening to this show. There will be more than one person listening to this show this morning who has woken 
woken up in shame because they didn't mean to do it again and they did and they wake up and they say never again never again never again and then they get to 10 30 11 in the morning and go i'll just have one do you know what i mean yeah. and that's the process but it's something remarkably common and for me, I don't know, just the knowledge that I am not um, I'm not a bad person. Yeah, yeah. I was just an ill person who sometimes did bad things because of that illness. Yeah, and that definition of sh- the difference between shame and guilt, you know, uh, guilt is I did something bad and shame converts that into I am something bad. Yeah, yeah, and I'm not bad. Right. And, and, and whoever's listening this morning who has come round from Bender or keeps finding themselves in this alcoholic haze, you are not bad either. Uh, it's great to talk to you. It's so nice. To I be love here. talking to you, Brandy Gordon. Um, she's an amazing human being. The world is a better place for her, even though for a while she didn't realise it. But we all did. <laughs> we all knew. We all knew, Brandy. Uh, the paperback version of Glorious Rock Bottom is out now, and this podcast uh, that she's been doing for four years now, the Mad World podcast, from wherever you get your podcasts, um, is also available to listen to. Anything else you'd like to say before you go? Will you come on my podcast? No. <laughs> <laughs> Too scared. <laughs> <laughs> the best of the Chris Evans Breakfast Show with Sky on Virgin Radio. Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the award winning movie Poor Things, starring Emma Stone, Mark Ruffalo, and Willem Dafoe. Check out the new documentary, Freaknik The Wildest Party Never Told, about the iconic Atlanta street party. And don't miss FX's Shogun, a reimagining of the epic tale starring Anna Sawai. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. All right, this is the tip-top edition of the Best of the Breakfast Show podcast with Sky from Virgin Radio. We've already heard from some undeniably magnificent guests already, but still so much more to come. The wonderful Anne-Marie Duff tells us about lending her support to Dementia Action Week and how you can get involved. Sky Sports F1's Crofty is back to rev us up ahead of Sky F1's live and exclusive coverage of the Monaco Grand Prix. Former SAS trooper Jamie Hull tells us his breathtaking and almost unbelievable life story with his new book, Life on a Thread, and rock star friend of the show, Anne Virgin Radio presenter extraordinaire Texas Charlene Spiteri wows us with the band's 10th studio album High all of that solid gold is on the way so let's not dilly or dally and get right back to it Dapper Dave who's next Madness have always been one step beyond the competition and thankfully they're hitting the road later this year to prove it tickets for the Lady Killers tour go on sale this Friday so if you like heavy heavy monster sounds stay tuned as we welcome the nuttiest of all the boys it's Suggs alright Suggs good day to you good sirs and ladies <laughs> how are you today you look Really Dave's. well. Thanks, mate. Yeah, thanks. No, I've been out in the garden a little bit. Yeah, I've been planting potatoes, you know, and all that old carry on, you know. <laughs> Tell us about your potato planting because there are well, very there are various methods. <laughs> there were, but 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 the first thing is what I did last year is don't dig them up too early. Right, right. I was I was bit too carried keen, away. Too keen. I was a bit carried away. Right, and my brother-in-law came round. We had a couple of glasses of wine. I don't. And I got two marble-sized potatoes, <laughs> but boy, they were tasty. <laughs> they were so good. <laughs> we have one each. That's so cool. Uh, right yeah. now, um, apparently, uh, the word on the street, little bird, has told me that you you performed a live gig on Friday at the Palladium. Yes. Tell us yes. about that. Yeah, yeah. And we'll, we'll, we'll been planning to do something for a little while if nothing else to let our fans be aware of the fact we're still, still alive, alive. <laughs> <laughs> in any capacity <laughs> but um, 
Um, well, it was nice because I saw a few of those live streams with certain bands, you know, and good luck to all of them. But, you know, no amount of dry ice and doing the sign of the devil wasn't going to alert me to the fact that the singer was very obviously not performing in front of an audience, yeah. you know what I mean? So we decided to sort of celebrate the fact there wasn't. And um, Charlie Higson, who's my next-door neighbour uh, of Fast Show and great comic writer, helped us write a little theatrical kind of... He plays this ghostly impresario. And um, we sort of do a chronological jog through the history of the band in the full knowledge that there's no-one in the audience. Really? But I think it went pretty well, yeah. Well done. Yeah, yeah. And are you going to take that forward to the forthcoming tour? Well, I don't know. I mean, it's it's called The Get Up, by the way, and I think it's still available online somewhere. But um, we're not exactly sure. I mean, we've only just, you know what I mean, getting our heads around working together again. But it was fantastic just being in a rehearsal room and doing something. Yeah, it's yeah, yeah, been yeah. great. I really felt a weight off my... Poor, egotistical shoulders, you know. But isn't it funny, because so many people have been saying similar over the last 12 to 14 months. People who thought they loved what they did, yeah, but yeah. didn't realise how much they loved what yeah. they did, that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was reading about that Chris Martin was saying that, re-evaluating the whole... Because you've been doing it 40-odd years, yeah. like me. I mean, my wife, my lovely wife Anne, said, yeah, it's like... She called it performance Tourette's. She said, every time... Can't you see people running away from you as you go towards the bus stop? <laughs> <laughs> Hang on a minute, there's another one! <laughs> I feel her hand on my collar it's dragging funny, me back isn't it? indoors. He's so funny. But, you know, it's not... And I never thought about it as an egotistical thing, but it's obviously a very important... You know, but your job... You know, you, you, you is getting something out of it, isn't it? Performing, yeah. Yeah, no, it's it's so important, and yeah. it's it's reassuring to remember that you do love what you do, yeah, yeah. and and not only that, but you're, you know, you're so identified with it, not because you thought one one could be forgiven for thinking the world identified your, you with your job more than you did, but it turns out it might be the other way around, you know. I certainly miss it, mate. You know, I mean, I'd perform to a lamppost right now. Well, you would you know? now, wouldn't you? <laughs> exactly. But in the past, you wouldn't have performed to a stadium. Oh, I can't be bothered yeah. going down there. Tell Wembley I'm oh, down. Not tonight. Be... <laughs> but they're already all there. I know. But, yeah. you know, seriously. Oh, no, I, not Portsmouth. I, can't, I can't feel the muse this evening. That kind of thing. Exactly. exactly um, right. So, and I'm intrigued about the Charlie Hickson um, uh, yeah. uh, creation. Because Charlie's a genius. He was in, he, he's got a new kids' book out. It's fantastic. It's called it, The yeah. w w Worst Holiday Ever. And it's, yeah. it's so funny. I think it went to number one straight away. He's on a couple of weeks talking about it. But you had the theatre show, the musical. Um, have, we, have you done a film? Have we talked about a film before of Madness? Yeah, I mean, we did a film in 1981. It was like a sort of docudrama uh, called Take It or Leave It, but not since. No, they were going to make a film out of the musical, which was called Our House, which was... Which is a gangbuster, wasn't it? Which, which was great, which was a big hit. One that Ivan Novello and the whatever, and the, you know, whatever the other bloke was that made statues, you know, for people in the theatre. The Olivier. <laughs> the Olivier, yeah. him as well. Mr Olivier. <laughs> Sir Olivier. Um, but the thing we did with Charlie, this get up that's just online, um, was great because, you know, we're just messing around and he was like, and it sort of seemed, I didn't quite know where it was going, but he was getting quite sentimental in his old age about how, you know, we have been through this really bizarre time and the ghostly person he plays says, but don't worry, it will come back. And the Palladium was the perfect place because who hasn't been through their portals at one yeah, time yeah. or another. So I think it worked in that sense. So we're being a bit stupid, but he's actually being quite serious about the fact that um, we will all be back together hopefully soon rather than later. So do you think we're done? Thank you, mate. OK, have a great uh, half pint later on. Thanks, we will do.
And or on, two. You know George Best only used to... No, Bobby Moore only used to, to drink half pints. Did he? Yeah, because he, when he was out with George Best, so if you see a picture of him and George Best out together, George will have a pint and Bobby will have a half, but Bobby was having three halves to George's pint. <laughs> And that's how he did it. That's how he did it. Well, I mean, I don't want to be, you know, whatever, but I find that, that, that that's what happens. Halves are very confusing. They're very easy to lose track of <laughs> how many you've had, haven't you? You want to try a schooner? Is that mate, and I'll give you a lift home. I've only had a... Was it how many halves do you think, roughly? Went, seven? <laughs> no, but they don't count, do they, No, that would be... A, but they do. That's the problem. <laughs> they do, exactly. All right, so, so lovely. Do. Thanks so much. Thank you very much, Chris. Thank Cheers, you, everyone. Buddy, you're very welcome. Madness.co.uk. Go there for all things madness for 2021. Madness are back in business bigger and better than ever before. The best of the Chris Evans Breakfast Show with Sky on Virgin Radio. She's the shining light of British theatre and telly that knows a fine cause when she sees one. The Alzheimer's Society Dementia Action Week kicks off today and here with why we need to care about social care is a lady well-versed in the important stuff. It's Anne-Marie Duff. All right, Anne-Marie. Thank you so much. So dementia first, a hair second or to the way around? It's up to you. Let's get the hair out of the way. <laughs> I wish I could. I wish I had hair to get out of the way. I don't have any hair to get out of the way, Vassos. It's really annoying. Really... Right, what are you two chundering around your, your Just hair? the joy of first haircut. Tell us, tell oh. us. Come on, tell us, tell us, ladies. Just sitting in the chair. Yeah. Having a beer. <laughs> if only. Watching the games. Having a chat. <laughs> yeah, certainly. Yeah, just talking nonsense exactly. with somebody you know a little bit. Yeah, exactly. And yeah. just, yeah, I can't, can't put the euphoria, the euphoria into words. Well, last <laughs> Monday you were just pre your your post lockdown, first post lockdown yeah. 3.0 hairdo. Yeah. Uh, pretty good a week on. Um, of course, you had date day, didn't you? But you didn't have your date day till the weekend and you had to keep your new, new hairdo sort of box fresh <laughs> four or five days. With I a didn't couple sleep of, for five days. That's that what it was. Like a geisha. Just... When did you have yours done first, post 3.0? Actually, I had to wait a little while. I had to wait a few weeks because yeah. the queue for the hairdressers <laughs> was mighty. Well, looking good, uh, feeling good and doing great here. So one way to be a 1% better every day as a human being is um, do no bad and do more good. Anne-Marie Duff is talking about Dementia Action Week. Uh, where do you want to dive into this, Anne-Marie? It's up to you. Uh, well, um, I suppose I should say about why I got involved Please with do, yeah. Alzheimer's Society. Um, I, like a lot of people all over the world, have somebody in my family who's living with a form of dementia. Mm -hmm. My big brother, my brother Eddie, who's two years older than me, has been battling with very, very early onset Alzheimer's right. for about, I guess, about 11 years. Um he was only diagnosed about three and a half years ago. But there was a long period of me watching him, worrying about him, not knowing what really was happening, him being misdiagnosed, mm -hmm. nobody understanding. And then suddenly there was a sort of series of events where the universe just kicked in. Yeah. And my lovely GP called me up. I was working at National Theatre, just come off stage, and the GP called me up and said, your brother's just walked into the GP's surgery sorry I'm gonna get upset but I don't care um and said I really need help and I don't know what's wrong with me and so um she called me up and said I think we need to send him off to the hospital just off Russell Square the neurology hospital and he was there for a couple of weeks and got his diagnosis it's very unusual for somebody you know that young to be living with something like that so it's um it's been a phenomenal time for us all but I cannot stress how amazing social services have been 
and the care system has been. And that's the reason I'm here today, you know, to try and encourage more investment in that world. Because I can't tell you what it meant to suddenly be able to sleep through the night, not worrying that he was somewhere walking around London, not knowing, you know, all of those things. So, um, yeah, so I got this email from Kerry Mulligan, who's a mate of mine, um, a little while ago saying, will you help me raise some money for Alzheimer's Society? I was like, this is mad, you know, because it's such a coincidence. And uh, then I jumped on board. I met lovely Scott. And, um, yeah, so that's me now, and I'm just trying to help out as much as I can, you know. Right, and the blessing within that is that your brother had the perspective, the self-awareness, and the moment to be able to realise he was in such a state that he needed to go and see someone, um, which is, is, as I say, it is a blessing, isn't it, that, that he had that awareness, and not everybody will. Uh, because we talk about self-diagnosis a lot on this show for different conditions, you know, and it, it's it's giving yourself a, a plan in life, or, you know, or a, a, a framework within which to spot things going wrong. We you know whether it's with your kids or yourself or your job or anything else. Um, and so then you get in that, you know, hopefully you get uh, to speak to professionals straight away. Um, and what, what kind of things, what kind of foundations did they decide, did they start to lay straight away as far as you... Well, yeah, the, the first priority was housing. Right. Yeah, that was the very first thing because he, he's a single man. Right. Which weirdly helped him in lots of ways because often partners, husbands, wives, mothers, fathers, or sons and daughters, depending on the age mm. of, of the person, they are sort of left to deal with it. So we had that strange blessing, really. But um, a lot of people don't, you know, they are... You know, because there's a weird kind of assumption that, oh, you can cope. Yeah. And you can't. It's, you know, you as it progresses. And, and the, the prognosis, of course, with any form of dementia is random. Nobody can tell you, oh, so what we're looking at is yes. a sort of 10-year journey or whatever. It's a freaky disease, isn't it? It's very freaky. And for a very early onset, it can be very aggressive. Right. So, um, you know, you don't know where you're going to be tomorrow. I saw Eddie the other day, and he's been grand. He's on good form. I see him, you know, as often as I can. Luckily, he lives really close to me. And I said to him before I left, I love you, mate. For the first time, he didn't know what I meant. Oh. You know, and it's it's just that every day is totally different. Yeah. Um, and so if you're living with that, if you're caring for that, there can be aggression, there can be anxiety, there can be utter confusion, as we all know. And so to be trying to negotiate that, manage that, and not feel ashamed because you can't cope. Yeah. And there's so much shame attached to it, isn't there? I feel so, you know, if you've made love to somebody and suddenly they're disappearing before your eyes, yeah. you feel desperately guilty that you can't fix them, help them. But you can't. It's like a cobweb, you know? Yeah. It's um, there's nobody there to negotiate with because they they no. they come and they go. When they come, you make the most of them. What you don't want to be doing is having issues with them when they're there. You yeah, know? that's exactly it. And we're all human, and we've yeah. all got nerve endings, and we're all frightened ourselves at the best of times. Yeah. You know, never mind if somebody's really challenging oh. us. You know, so um, this is what I suppose this week's all about. Amri Duff has been here talking about uh, Dementia Action Week. It starts today and it actually runs till Sunday, the 23rd of May. Please get involved. Alzheimer's.org.uk slash DAW is where you need to go. Hurrah for Amri Duff. Come on. Live round of applause. We never do this. We never do this. I'm so grateful for the applause. We love you. <laughs> the best of the Chris Evans Breakfast Show with Sky on Virgin Radio.
The Eurovision Grand Final is tomorrow night at 8pm on BBC One and the only thing more entertaining than the performances is the commentary. So let's stare straight into the camera and with a slightly annoying delay say come in Rotterdam to Virgin Radio's very own Graham Norton! Good morning, Graham! Oh, bonjour, bonjour <laughs> tout le monde at Virgin. <laughs> oh, Graham, it's so great to have you on the radio on Eurovision well, Eve. This is so cool. Well, also, I feel just feel so clever because I'm at, I'm in my hotel room at yes. a desk and I have set up a full studio by myself. Yes! This is unbelievable. And also you've snuck us inside the BBC bubble. Well done, my friend. I know. But this is like this is honestly putting this thing together it was like diffusing a bomb yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> but I did it. <laughs> well done. Congratulations. So the day before Eurovision, what do you get up to? Well, uh, about 12 o'clock, I'll head over and we see the first kind of stagger through rehearsal. And uh, then, of course, because it's 2021, there's a bunch of uh, COVID tests to be done. And then we see the kind of second stagger through. And then tomorrow I'll do my show from the hotel. And then you see uh, the final dress rehearsal and then... On the night, whatever happens on the night happens on the night. Yeah, so exciting! But it's so- a weird. It is. A, it's a weird one because there's a kind of a tension in the air because uh, Iceland have tested positive for Corona, uh-huh. and uh, the poor old creature who won last time. Uh, isn't that terrible? I can't even remember his name. Um, Duncan Lawrence. Duncan Lawrence. He was set to do all his new music. He was going to be the star of the grand final and he's tested positive, so he won't be there. I know, he's waited two years for this, his big moment, and it's not happening. So uh, there's a kind of a a slight kind of tremor where everyone's thinking, hang on, if people start dropping like flies, what's going to be left for the grand final? But anyway, fingers crossed, fingers crossed. That's proper inside skinny from the horse's mouth from Graham Norton live in Rotterdam with Eurovision. Any other breaking news Eurovision stories? Tell us Uh, about Well, I mean, Iceland got through. They weren't there last night but they got through the semi-final so they're yep. in the final but it, I mean, if they win how peak 2021 will that be <laughs> they're sitting in a hotel room watching themselves win Eurovision <laughs> and they're not there uh, but they might win because they are people love them they absolutely love that group from Iceland Do, does it have a running time is it open-ended what's the skinny there I think it's, I mean, I think they say every time it's supposed to be three hours or three and a half hours or something. But, and I imagine the Dutch are on it. I mean, even flying here yesterday with KLM, they were sort of like, we would be landing four minutes ahead of schedule. And you thought, yeah, you're on it. So I think this will be one of the more timely uh, Eurovision Song Contests, uh, unless something goes wrong. Touch wood, it won't. But uh, yeah, I think they'll, uh, it's it's other countries who know they're never going to see this again. Uh, It's like they don't want us to leave. No, there's more. Look, there's some children dancing. So I I think uh, we might be... And also, Duncan Lawrence isn't there. So what what are they going to fill the time with? So we might come in short. We don't know. So what's the longest it's ever felt? Oh, I mean, the longest one that ever felt long was when we were in uh, Baku in Azerbaijan. Because that show did not start local time till midnight. Mm -hmm. So, you know, you just, at midnight, that's, that's bedtime, that's jammies. And we're having to go, welcome to the Eurovision Song Contest. And knowing that there was hours and hours ahead of us. Uh, so that was pretty grim. So I, this will be lovely. This is only an hour difference. All right, what was flying like? Uh, you know, what's like going to an airport nowadays? Uh, city airport, lovely. Uh, I mean, 
quiet as a quiet thing. There was nobody there. Uh, I got to spend some quality time with the sniffer dog who's been trained. <laughs> No, it was a, no, I had to have a photo op with the new sniffer dog. He, he's, uh, he's, he's trained. Uh, get this. He's trained for something digital, something. So he can smell SIM cards and he can smell... What else can he smell? Something else. And it's to do with uh, terrorism, counterterrorism. Uh, isn't that clever? Very I mean, I, clever. I, yeah. Who knew SIM cards had a smell? But they, d- they do. Did he recognise you as a very successful TV and radio host? No, in fact, he seemed a little lacking in confidence. I feel like, I feel like he's new on the job. And he's, he's not. He was a bit timid and shy, but very, very sweet. All right. Now, your radio shows are going to be broadcast live pre and post. I'm very much look, looking forward to both, as always. I love your show, Graham. You know I love your Thank show. Thank you very I, much, I really Chris mean Evans. that from the bottom of my heart. But I'm particularly <laughs> looking to the post show. Uh, post Eurovision on Sunday morning at half past nine. I just, I just have a sense it might be a little more interesting than if, if that's possible. Then your show always is, anyhow. Do you know what? Yes. Uh, you know, you, you think it would be like you know those those shows they do on Radio One after the Brits. Yeah, come on. It it won't. This I think is going to be my first ever dry Eurovision. No, I know. I know. Uh, the the Dutch government there there's uh, no booze post eight o'clock anywhere. You could, for love nor money, you cannot go. Really? Eight o'clock. I know. Uh, so yeah, I think, so that's I think it's that, going then. to be a sh- it's going to be a shockingly dry <laughs> Eurovision. Unless you know, I don't know. I, I, I you know, I, I don't know. But as far as I know, <laughs> Hang on a minute. what were you going to say? You were going to say something well, then? No, no. <laughs> yes. <laughs> no, I'm sure. I'm sure some delegations <laughs> might have might have gone yeah. the extra mile. They'll take but a I chance. imagine the BBC. The BBC won't have gone the extra mile. So we we will be dry, very dry. All right. Well, you have your guests on your show still. You've got a proper radio show going on um, from your oh, yeah. hotel room. Well done, pal. Setting all that stuff up. See, it can be done anywhere, can't it? Can't it? I mean, we have these beautiful well, it, sort of technical, gorgeous studios, exec studios on the 17th floor. But frankly. We could do it under the stairs if we had to. Well, here, here's the thing, Chris. Let's not let's not count our chickens. I haven't done it yet. <laughs> let's let's <laughs> let's have this let's have this congratulatory chat on Monday All right. when I've when I've successfully done two shows for a hotel room in Rotterdam. But does it sound okay? I think it sounds all it right. It sounds great. We were warned there might be delay, but there's none whatsoever, so it's cool. Cool, man. Very cool. It's all great. Right. Graham, lovely okay. to talk to you, my friend. All right, take care. Bye-bye. Have a great weekend. Graham Norton live from Rotterdam, pre-Eurovision there. Eurovision Eve, he's on your radio tomorrow, half past nine, with Ruth Jones and Tom Edison on Sunday, similar with Angela Scanlon and Billy Howell. The best of the Chris Evans Breakfast Show with Sky on Virgin Radio. Fast cars, the glorious Riviera, loads of money, and for this weekend, the dulcet tones of our next guest. That's right, the Monaco Grand Prix is live and exclusive on Sky Sports F1 this Sunday, and here to tell us all about it is the commentary equivalent of a billionaire's yacht. It's Crofty! All right, Crofty! (laughs) Good morning, Bonjour. To one and all, how are you? Very well. Well, let's start at the beginning. What about the McLaren livery for the weekend? I love it. Doesn't it look utterly gorgeous? To be fair, that golf livery is back. Lando Norris and Daniel Ricciardo have got special tribute crash helmets as well. Well done, McLaren, for making an effort this weekend. But let's face it, Chris, if you can't make an effort in Monaco, you'll never make an effort anywhere. Yeah, exactly. Is there a specific reason for this? Is there some kind of anniversary that they're looking to? I think it. I think it's more a marketing. Um, by Zach Brown to try and get Golf to uh, to sponsor the car a little bit more in the future and to show them what they could have uh, for a little bit of extra cash. What I'm loving about this year 
is the Lewis Hamilton factor like never before in as much as Crofty we are now truly discovering once and for all because there is parity on the track between manufacturers that Lewis Hamilton may well be um, you know um, uh, turn for turn straight for straight breaking for breaking the best driver of his generation and each, a generation either side as well yeah, I mean, to be fair, it's very difficult to compare the eras. But put it this way, the, the, the people that tell me I'm wrong when I tweet nice things about Lewis Hamilton, I, I've stopped tweeting yep. to say that I'm wrong. I agree. Because I think the statistics are all bearing it out. The, the guy is, is an absolute machine, not just in what he can do on the track, but the way he can do it year after year after year after year and seemingly get better year after year after year after year. And I hope he wins the title this year because at eight world titles, it puts the debate to bed to me. He is, in my opinion, the greatest driver we've ever had in Formula One. And the fact that he, he... Every year is a fresh challenge, and every year he conquers that challenge. Just proves it more and more. I, I think we are we are watching history in the making, and it's it's a joy to see. Yeah, but also I, I agree with you entirely. So not not but but and I think I suppose is what I'm saying. The fact that he's against Max Verstappen this year, so it's eight. It will be eight titles on the bounce, but also with Max Verstappen in a, a pretty um, equal car. And but the thing Max hasn't got, and this is becoming more and more evident by by the race for me, is that he, you can't fast forward that experience, can you? And that is really te- Max may well be as good a driver as Lewis. It's just that he doesn't have those flying as many flying hours under his belt. Well, absolutely, you know, and, and that's why Mercedes pay top dollar for experience when it comes to Lewis Hamilton. Why he, he's such a wanted man by by any team in, in the paddock. You, you can have as much natural talent as you want, but eventually you have to go deep into the memory bank yeah. to work out a way to beat someone in a tight situation, and and that's what Lewis does. And you know. It, if Max Verstappen is still around, and I hope he is in Formula One in 10 years' time, we'll have the same conversation about Max Verstappen. But you're absolutely right at the moment. He's five years in, he's driving brilliantly, but he's not the finished article yet. And also, Lewis, in many ways, is sort of the Ronaldo of Formula One because he might still be here in 10 years' time. What about that? <laughs> yeah, well, it, 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 he's making a lot of noise at the moment about wanting a new contract, wanting to stay around, fresh challenge in 2022. It, it, with Lewis, I think it depends which way the wind's blowing when he wakes up in the morning. Sometimes he's like, oh, no, I've had enough of this. There are other things I need to do. The next day, it's like, no, I'm, I'm fresh for the challenge. Um, I, I think he'll stay around for at least three years. Yeah. Uh, ten might be stretching at a touch, but, but three years, I think, but is, you uh, never is know. about right. Crofty, you never, you never know. know. You never know. All right, other headlines <laughs> to look forward to this weekend on Sky Sports Sky F1 and the Monaco Grand Prix. Oh, listen, it's a massive weekend of sport. It, it's, it's the Formula One, then it's the end of the Premier League. Come on, West Ham, you can get into Europe, and then it's the golf as well with the USPGA. But in terms of the Monaco Grand Prix, Saturday, you've got to watch qualifying on Saturday. Pole position, so important. The pole sitters led the first lap every year since 2002. It's going to be really, really competitive. Mercedes Red Bull fancy their chances. Ferrari think they're in with a sniff as well. And watch Lando Norris come good and Daniel Ricciardo in that beautiful McLaren. Uh, I'm expecting good things from them this weekend as well. OK, not having gone for a couple of years to Monaco, my favourite Grand Prix on the card, um, it's made me promise myself that if I'm in a position, if I'm able to to go to Monaco um, from now on until I'm no longer able to go, I'm just going to go every year because I miss it so much. Um, yeah. It's you know, it's only a thing. It's a first world issue and all this kind of stuff. But I, I re- that brings me joy, the Monaco Grand Prix. And I'm just going to try and get there every year from now on. And, and next year is going to be amazing because the crowds will be back in their entirety next year. We've got boats. We've got a few fans. It's not the same this year as it has been in the yeah. past. But 
you can do Monaco on the cheap, so don't feel you have to be a multi-millionaire to do Monaco. It's a race that everyone can come to. But yeah. when you can find an invitation onto a yacht and you can sip somebody else's champagne in the sunshine on a super yacht, it does make the experience a touch better, doesn't it? Yeah, no, it's a very good point, that, um, because it's more accessible than most on a budget, isn't it? Yeah. Oh, yeah, you can sit on the rock for about 70 euros uh, yeah. for the ticket. Um, the grandstands are not hugely expensive. You can stay in Nice and get the train in or Monson. There's plenty of things you can do that don't involve multi-million yeah. pound checks. Um, just a quick one. Back to the McLaren and the Gulf-inspired um, vintage livery for Monaco this weekend. It's going to be great to see that car uh, around the track. They're going to get lots more coverage. It's a very clever move because it's, it's such yeah. eye candy. I th- what about every year they just had... All the tr- all the all the teams just all vintage their cars up every year for Monaco. Wouldn't that be cool? Yeah, wouldn't that be great for commentators? There, there, Chris, trying to give me much more oh, work. Oh, you, you can do your eyes closed, Crofty. He can <laughs> smell who's in the lead and who's being lapped. Thank you, Crofty. I love you. You too, mate. Take care. Goodbye. The best of the Chris Evans Breakfast Show with Sky on Virgin Radio. He's been to hell and back and has put pen to paper for a glimpse of exactly what that feels like. His debut book, Life on a Thread, How My Fight for Survival Made Me Stronger, is out now. So, ladies and gentlemen, brace yourselves for a story you will never forget from the awe-inspiring Jamie Hull. Good morning, Jamie. Uh, Good morning there, Chris. Congratulations on this book. It is an amazing read, my friend. For people who don't know what happened to you. Yeah, thank you very much. Um, let's just say, uh, yeah, it was quite an ordeal. Okay. When wh- when was the ordeal? Where was the ordeal? How come you were in the situation you found yourself in? The date was the 19th of August 2007, and I, was, uh, I embarked upon a flying training course. It was a personal ambition to learn to fly, uh, a light aircraft specifically. And it was in um, Florida. So Florida airspace, uh, the incident occurred in the USA uh, back in summer of 2007. So light aircraft, uh, you're out, uh, you're training, uh, you're flying, you're well on your way to your PPL, your private pilot's license, and you were doing circuits above the airfield and your the engine in your on your plane caught fire. What happened next? Yeah, so as you say, uh, the engine flared whilst I was working in the pattern at uh, 1,000 feet. So to give you an idea, my first alert as the, the pilot in command of that small light aircraft, I looked out the left-hand canopy window and I sort of had to look and look again, not quite believing what I saw, a thin streak of visible yellow-orange flame and it was emanating from the front portion of the, um, the fuselage, so where the engine where the engine is. And no sooner as I sort of recognised it and I made my sort of final turn, sort of left banking, into wind now, so setting myself up for a final approach, the fire then immediately breached the cockpit internally. So I looked down and I spotted flames lapping around my feet and ankles um, at 1,000 feet uh, as I was starting to drop from that level on my final approach. Okay, and as you as you descended, the flames climbed ever higher. Adrenaline kicked in. Uh, they were very quickly up to your knees and then your waist. Uh, but all the time, you had just had to focus on landing the plane. You know, it's the first lesson we learn, isn't it? Land the plane when you're learning to fly. Um, can you describe the last 10 seconds before you landed, please? Sure. So... There was an initial panic, but I managed to sort of get a grip around about the 500 feet mark. And basically then my mind just um, switched to emergency protocol. So I just followed that drill, that uh, emergency uh, protocol. So turned everything off in sequence. So engine, 
um, controls, instruments. And I'm now gliding in, and as I, I veer away from the concrete hard runway below, and I'm heading towards a grassy sort of stretch of grassy embankment to my left in the distance. That's my sort of focus. As I'm gliding in, descending, trying to scrub off as much airspeed as I could, but being conscious not to scrub too much and, and, and risk stalling the aircraft. So I managed to glide in smoothly as I could, uh, ditch the headset. So I ripped my headset off the head and threw it in the opposite footwell on the right-hand side, opened the left-hand canopy door, and then very, very low level, so sort of about 20 feet, having judged it by eyeball, managed to clamber up onto the seat, climbed through the now open door aperture to my left, and then got on the wing, uh, balanced momentarily, and then went for it. So it took a giant leap from the trailing edge, the back of the left wing, uh, and I jumped from a height of about 1, 5, 15 feet, running in at about 30 knots. All right, so you'd survived um, the landing or the crash landing, um, but you didn't. You weren't aware how, how severely you had sustained uh, burns. You were still on fire when you hit the ground. And um, how quickly did people come to your help? Yeah, so you're, you're bang on there. So I, I basically, having jumped, the motivation was that I was, you know, on fire within the cockpit and just desperately need to sort of, you know, have that exit plan to get out. So that was the the um, the method, if you will, and then I I rolled around in the long grass like a man possessed in order to smother the flames. My right shoulder was still on fire, my right scalp like a sort of a Roman candle, and then I I actually witnessed my own aircraft sort of pile in about seventy feet away in the distance, and I caught a glimpse when she was sort of nose heavy, left wing down, and the prop was probably um, about six feet above the ground when I caught glimpse. So I, I watched it crash land. Then there was a pregnant pause of about eight to 10 seconds. And then she blew, she blew up. It was an almighty explosion. And then I just waited. I mean, I desperately tried to crawl away, but I, ma I managed to get about uh, perhaps uh, 15 feet. And I was utterly spent. I mean, I was completely exhausted at that stage. The adrenaline sort of probably dropped off in the body, uh, which had carried me through up until that point. And, um, and I was just done for. And I knew that uh, in my conscious that uh, my life as I knew it was, was over. Yeah. You know, I was, uh, I was burned from, as far as I was concerned, from head to toe. My eyes reacted and I was now sort of uh, beginning to, to go blind with the reaction to the burns to the cornea of both eyes. And so my mind, my mental state was now a desperate sort of scramble just to sort of hold on. But um, I gave it everything I could. And about 15 minutes later, I heard the sort of woo, 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 and the, you know, the emergency sirens in the distance. And I, I knew that, um, you know, it was pretty obvious they were, they were coming from me. Those sirens grew louder and I just held on, you know, like, um, you know, to describe it, I held on for the listeners, you know, like a, a mouse on a thread, but um, conscious in my mind that at any moment now, the thread was likely to sort of snap. And that would be it, uh, me sort of tumbling into oblivion, sort of game over. Well, Jamie, congratulations on writing the book. I know that you do a lot of amazing work now. Uh, Jamie has rebuilt his life. He's run marathons. He <laughs> partook in the race across America, uh, climbing uh, Mount Kilimanjaro. Um, his book features 33 chapters split into three parts. Uh, Jamie is now a Healthy Heroes ambassador. Uh, thanks for being on the show, pal. 
You're welcome, Chris. Cheers. Okay, it is an awesome book. The best of the Chris Evans Breakfast Show with Sky on Virgin Radio. Oh, wow, what an outfit that is. Cool. Rachel, please describe. This is an absolute gem of a, I would a say, dream. a sort of a, a jeered green jumpsuit buttoned to the top with a fabulous orange stripe, a pipe along the collar. Oh, yeah, pipe collar. with a mustard yeah. hat. Do you know what this is? This is a butterfly catching suit. Is it actually? What? It actually And that's is. the only that's way the God's honest you would expect Charlie's Fatari to, to, uh, to announce her arrival on the show. It's brilliant. <laughs> it's got a certain playfulness about it, hasn't it, as well? It has a certain playfulness to it, um, which I'm very happy about. Okay. Especially when you wake up at quarter past five in the morning. Don't to, start oh moaning and groaning God. to us about getting up at silly o'clock. It's not that. How do you I was up two hours before that? you, pal. How do you I could have been around and done your lawn and before alarms. you woke up and left and you wouldn't know anything that's about just, it. It's just wrong. Mm. I mean, seriously, you just want to go back to sleep. Were you, were you, um, Santa Disco down to two, say what you want? Yeah, I was. Did I you thought, see that? Well, I was yeah. literally, I mean, I we, were doing the, we were doing the whole thing. Want, I did feel like I was in the, at the silent disco in London Zoo going woohoo in my suit, my butterfly suit. Woo Zoo. Okay, so this album, hi, it's out a week today. You can pre order it at <gasps> texas.com.uk. Please. Yeah, no, go ahead and do that and get on to texas.com.uk for all tour information. You can buy tickets now. Um, you can go and stay at Ali's house. It's like <laughs> rock and roll Airbnb. It's the kind of, it's, it's all going on. Of course it is. Uh, so Charlene's here, Johnny's here, uh, Tony's here, Eddie's here, Cat's here on the drums, smashing it on the drums. Cat is here for Cat. Unbelievable stuff. Uh, James on sax. Hi James, how you doing, man? Now that is a sax. I mean, he's got another one, by the way. He's got a backup sax, like he needs one. He's got, he's got a whole posse. Has he? All right. Uh, if you want sax, uh, he's the man to go to. Alistair is on guitar, of course. Al, how you doing, mate? Okay, good. He hasn't been given a microphone quite wise. No, quite don't wise. ever give no, him a microphone. What's the point? What's the point? No, we've been saying for years, what is the point? He used it to like, put his ashtray on or something. See, it's in your head now. Of course it Can't is. Can't get away from it. Where, how big are you where else other than the UK? Um, so are we, you, you're, oh, we're bigger in you're biggest here, are you? No, we're biggest in France. France, okay. France is their That's biggest market. Cool, isn't it? Then and Spain. And are the, yeah. all the bands, they flew in in French for interviews and promo and things like that? Eddie, nobody, sure. nobody does promo <laughs> apart from me. <laughs> Nobody's like to speak. Et tu sûr? <laughs> Je suis it. <laughs> Je suis it. Très, très belle. Right, now listen, I haven't, heard, I haven't heard the new album. So I've heard a couple of things, but not all of it. So oh, it's it, rocking. Is it, does it have a vibe all the way through? I'm going to have I'm actually got a copy for you, but I did forget to put it in my bag. I've Thank got you, you in much. vinyl and I've got you in a cassette because I know you love a cassette for the car. Well, it's the only way I can listen yeah, to things on the Yeah, I know, it's true. Because somebody went like that, take him a CD and I went... <laughs> Don't be stupid. Do you know what a CD might get there? Um, really? Okay. Yeah, but a cassette, definitely, 100%. I'm, de- I'm going to get you a cassette, but you comes in white vinyl, red vinyl. We've done the whole thing. All right, and vinyl in the garage at home. I, I can, I could I could stop by and pick it up if it's where I think it is. Yeah, it is. Okay, I'll do that because yeah. I'll have that in the garage at home. Yeah, great. If it doesn't get blown off. Um, right, what else? So, no, but tell us about the, the sound, the vibe of the album. from. A- so the album is, well, you've heard Hi and you've heard Mr. Hayes. Yeah. So it literally goes from, you know, like you've got that kind of there's like country feel, there's like the big cinematic yep. sound. It goes into disco, it's got soul and blues. You've got the big ballads. You've got, um, it's got everything. It's got like a sort of Bob Dylan folky sound. It's got all stuff. I'm excited. Oh yeah, and I do a duet with Claire Grogan as well, which I've never oh, done. There's just that. I've never mention. done. I've never done a, a duet with another woman, so it's amazing. Claire Grogan and I um, do do a duet together, which was something fantastic. What was the band she was in? 
Uh, it was funny. So that is that Johnny McElhone's band, that Altered Images yeah. mob. Oh, all right, you know what? That rings. A, they ring a bell. No, do they? I'm not quite sure. Who knows? <laughs> more from Texas. Go to texas.com.uk to find out more, to buy more, and to just join in more of the fun. The best of the Chris Evans Breakfast Show with Sky on Virgin Radio. Thank you so much for listening to this, the podcast of the Virgin Radio Breakfast Show. Don't forget, you can subscribe and get it every week from wherever you get your podcast, and you will never miss the weekly roundup of all the best bits from our Virgin Radio Breakfast Show with Sky. Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the acclaimed movie, All of Us Strangers, starring Paul Mescal and Andrew Scott. Stream the new Hulu original limited series, We Were the Lucky Ones, with Joey King and Logan Lerman. And don't forget about Grey's Anatomy. Every Grey's episode ever is now streaming on Hulu. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu.